Hey, it's NPR's Book of the Day. I'm Andrew Limbong. I don't know if people in the States realize how casually people talked about the extrajudicial killings going on in the Philippines under President Rodrigo Duterte. Like, I'm Indonesian, and even I had family members who were like, eh, it is what it is. If you're not a drug dealer, you're not in danger, you know, while just chowing down breakfast on a Tuesday. And how we talk about things matters. The language we use, the words we pick. That's the thesis of Patricia Evangelista's book, Some People Need Killing. She was a journalist in Manila during this stretch of time, and producer Mallory Yu over at All Things Considered put together this piece featuring Evangelista telling her story. After the break, NPR's Wana Summer sets it up, then Patricia Evangelista takes it from there. Support for NPR and the following message come from FX's The Veil, starring Elizabeth Moss. FX's The Veil is an international spy thriller that follows two women as they play a deadly game of truth and lies on the road from Istanbul to Paris and London. One woman has a secret, and the other has a mission to reveal it before thousands of lives are lost. FX's The Veil, now streaming only on Hulu. When Rodrigo Duterte was elected as president of the Philippines in 2016, Patricia Evangelista was a field correspondent for Rappler, an independent news agency based in Manila. Hours after Duterte's inauguration, the body of a man was found with a sign declaring him a drug lord. So began years of reporting on the thousands of people who died as a result of Duterte's war on drugs and the thousands more who were left behind. Those years of reporting are the subject of Evangelista's new book. It's called Some People Need Killing, A Memoir of Murder in My Country. And as the title of the book suggests, there will be frank discussion of extrajudicial killings that some may find disturbing. The story that Rodrigo Duterte told when he ran for the presidency was that the reason for the shambles the country was in was a drug scourge. And then he said that addicts were terrible people. Kill them all, he said. So he didn't believe in rehabilitation. He believed in retribution. And people who voted for Rodrigo Duterte believed the same thing. He came at an important point where many people across decades had been living with failed expectations. Many people were poor. Many people were frustrated. Duterte came in and said, I know what's the problem and I will fix it for you. People elected a violent autocrat on an excess of hope. They hoped for something better. I expected there to be deaths on the street. The velocity of it was stunning in the aftermath. I really understood it one evening when we were told there was a death at a 7-Eleven. And we got into the cars and we raced to the crime scene. And we were outside the 7-Eleven and there was no body. Then we understood it was a different 7-Eleven. So we went down, covered the body, counted the bullets, that sort of thing. And then we got another alert. There was a body in front of a 7-Eleven. And then we said, we're here. They said, no, it's a different one. It was the same 7-Eleven that we had just been to within something like 30 minutes. The reason for me that I understood 
how enormous this was, the sudden change in conscience, in morality, in perspective in my country, is that according to the witnesses, the man who was killed, he was standing in front of the store, his killer walked up to him, shot him, and then walked away. He was unmasked, there was no getaway van, there was no motorcycle to pick him up, he didn't even run, he walked away, like it was normal. You have to listen to the language to understand how normalized it is for everyone else on the ground. So words like salvage to the rest of the world, that's a hopeful word. Salvage means to save, to rescue. To us, salvage meant to kill in a very particular sort of way, where they are left as scarecrows in the aftermath, that they are warnings to other people. Let me show you how a man is salvaged. I was standing at the high point of a bridge, and the dead man was lying in the shadow of a parapet wall. He was a big man with big bare feet. There was a sign beside him. It said he was a drug dealer. His head had been wrapped in packing tape, and that's when I heard the screaming. It came from the bottom of the bridge, a woman's voice, high and shrill. I saw her face first, and then her feet come running. She fell to her knees beside me, just outside the yellow crime scene tape. She said her name was Ivy. She said the dead man was her husband. She said she knew him by his feet. René Desierto had been salvaged. In the aftermath, I saw Ivy many times, and I told Ivy that there would be a book. And she said, tell them our love story. So that's what I'm telling you now. She loved him, he loved her, and she loves him all the way to now. For me, I want to keep a good record. I want to honor the people who told me their stories. So if I can put it on paper in as clear a way as I can, maybe it matters someday for whoever is looking for a reckoning. And at the same time, I mostly thought with so many names and so many bodies that the job was to reconstruct the man who was lost. When there was a challenge of likely crimes against humanity, the president said, I'd like to be frank with you. Are they human? What is your definition of a human being? So perhaps consciously or unconsciously across the book, I was trying to define the human being in whatever fashion other people see ordinary, regular, everyday people. Here is the color of the shoe. Here is the tenor of the scream. Here is what he last said to his mother. What I learned writing the book is that language matters and that language builds realities. All over the world, charismatic men and women will tell stories. And sometimes we laugh because it's funny. 
And sometimes they'll say some things that are dangerous, but not dangerous enough. And then maybe we'll applaud. And then they'll say something a little more dangerous, like maybe kill a drug dealer. And then later maybe kill a journalist, maybe kill an activist. And then maybe, because of what they say and what they do, a vigilante with a gun will also say, maybe some people need killing. The language matters. And the reason the book is called what it is is because it is the bluntest way to say it. That some people do believe some people need killing. With violence all over the world, with many situations where some lives are considered less grievable than others, maybe it is proper to ask the question as bluntly as possible. Do we think some people need killing? My job is to stand over the body on the ground and then ask, did this have to happen? And always, the answer is, it's because someone stood behind the barrel of a gun and said yes. Um, I hope someone somewhere might read the book and answer no to That was writer Patricia Evangelista talking about her book, Some People Need Killing, a memoir of murder in my country. It's out now. So before we wrap up the show, we want to take a minute to say thank you so much to our new Book of the Day Plus supporters and anyone listening who donates to public media. The NPR network depends on your contributions. If you're not a supporter yet, right now is a great time to join our mission to create a more informed public. You can make a tax-deductible donation to your favorite station or stations, and you could subscribe to Book of the Day Plus and get sponsor-free listening to this show. Your donation today funds the news and podcasts that expand your horizons, connect you to exciting ideas and people, and inspire you every day. You know, we love bringing you the Books We Love collection every year, and we want to be able to keep doing that in the years to come. So please donate today at donate.npr.org books or explore NPR Plus at plus.npr.org. Thanks. This message comes from NPR sponsor Charles Schwab with their original podcast, Choiceology. Hosted by Katie Milkman, an award-winning behavioral scientist and author of the best-selling book, How to Change. Choiceology is a show about the psychology and economics behind people's decisions. Hear true stories from Nobel laureates, authors, athletes, and more about why people do the things they do. Download the latest episode and subscribe at schwab.com podcast or wherever you listen. Support for NPR and the following message come from IXL Online. Is your child asking questions on their homework you don't feel equipped to answer? IXL Learning uses advanced algorithms to give the right help to each kid, no matter the age or personality. One subscription gets you everything. One site for all the kids in your home, pre-K to 12th grade. Make an impact on your child's learning. Get IXL now. And NPR listeners can get an exclusive 20% off IXL membership when they sign up today at IXL.com NPR. This message comes from NPR sponsor Viore, a new perspective on performance apparel. Clothing designed with premium fabrics, built to move in, styled for life. For 20% off your first purchase, go to Viore.com NPR.